the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. <clears throat> Excuse me, got a little, little frog in my throat. I'll have to ask Kermit to leave. Um, this is Attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. I'm uh, here broadcasting from my office in San Jose, in the Cambrian Park Avenue of San Jose. Um, I'm going to probably be covering a lot of ground today as um, as Santa Clara County is uh, now officially in a, uh, a different color of the uh, the governor's uh, uh, preschool uh, coloring system for what counties can do. Um, so, um, you know, I'm looking forward to being able to dine indoors again like I did in Orange County uh, just this past weekend. I'm looking forward to being able to go catch a theater inside a movie theater again, something that my family used to do um, two or three times a month, and then, of course, we haven't been had a chance to do that for quite some time. But I guess the main thing is I'm looking forward to just our county here in Santa Clara opening up even more and people having more and more freedom to move about and associate with their loved ones and with their friends um my in my own case uh, my daughters have been in remote learning for um since the beginning of the school year um i am going to be moving one of my daughters to uh, another school that has in person instruction because i believe that she will benefit from that now so one of my daughters is staying at the existing school the other one will be moving this coming Monday, and I'm hopeful that that will help her a great deal because she really misses in-person instruction and being able to actually interact with the teacher. I know that many of you out there are struggling with this, with the remote learning with your children. I can't even imagine remote learning for uh, the low elementary grades. I don't think it's imp- it's possible at all because their uh, their attention spans tend to be very short. And I don't know how you can possibly keep them on a Zoom meeting with their kindergarten, first grade, second grade teacher and accomplish much of anything. I'm finding it very, very difficult for my daughters to accomplish anything. And they're in seventh grade. So um, it's, you know, you'd think it would be easier when they're older. It's not that much easier. Maybe high school, maybe college. But even there, I think there's serious issues. So. I'm hopeful that the schools will open up 
uh, that more schools will open up and, and let children go back because they really, really need to be back in school. Um, I know there are people who will be angry with me for saying that or even suggesting that. And quite frankly, I'll be uh, honest about this, I don't really care if people are angry with me for expressing that sentiment. I know I'm not alone. I know there's many, many families that really want their children back in school. And right now, my wife and I, we're doing what we think is the best for our daughters so that they can actually get the best education possible in a time where any kind of education is almost impossible. So that being said, um, I did go with my family down to Orange County this past weekend. We spent a couple days down there. We spent uh, one day, uh, several hours at downtown Disney. For those of you who love Disneyland, I want to let you know that they have opened up at downtown Disney in Studio 17, which is the soundstage studio that is closest to Disneyland Park itself. Um, if you've seen those sound stages as you approach Disneyland, the ones on the left, uh, this is the one closest to Disney. They've opened it up and they've filled it with a gigantic pop-up store of uh, Halloween merchandise all across the spectrum of Disney and Marvel and, and even Star Wars. And um, you can get there and you can go in and you can actually make purchases in the pop-up store they have in the soundstage that they've set up. Um, I will tell you, if you want to go to downtown Disney, get there and be ready to enter the gates at 9.30. That's when they open up. Uh, get in there early. If you come later in the day, you're probably looking at an hour and a half wait just to get into downtown Disney. And then you'll be looking at a long waits to get into the Disney store, the confectionery store, and Studio 17 where they have the pop-up store. But uh, it's worth going. Uh, if you're a Disney fan, I think it's worth going there. Another key is if you're going to show up a little later, make sure you make a reservation at one of the restaurants in there. And that will get you in the door, uh, even if they're not letting people in anymore because they've reached capacity. Um, we also spent a day at Knott's Berry Farm, where, where I've never been to Knott's Berry Farm. We went there because they have a big Halloween extravaganza going on, food tasting, and everything is decorated for Halloween. And they have, I guess, uh, cast members there dressed up as uh, various types of ghosts. Uh, doing various things, uh, social distancing, I will say, many of them appearing on balconies and things like that uh, so that they're not interacting directly with the public. But that was kind of nice to go there as well. So we took a couple days off, went to Southern California. Orange County is opened up for, for in-restaurant dining now. So um, something like uh, what we will hopefully be opening up soon here in Santa Clara County for in restaurant dining. If you're in one of the counties in the Bay Area that doesn't allow that, consider driving down to Santa Clara County and patronizing one of the businesses here um, because uh, there's something about being able to dine inside a restaurant that is um, a very different experience from dining al fresco, which is fine with the weather now, but when it starts raining, getting cold, dining outside probably will be much less of a thrill and more of a chill. I'm sorry, that was a very, very bad joke. 
So I'm going to continue on today with my usual approach for this show, which is to cover questions and comments from around the state of California. Um, I basically read fact situations that people have posted, and then I answer their questions on the air and uh, also give commentary, sometimes explain things. Uh, I think part of my function as an attorney is to educate. Um, originally, I was going to be a high school history teacher when I was in college. Then I changed directions. I went to law school instead. But even though I went to law school, I never really lost the idea of being a teacher. Um, here in, in San Jose, before the pandemic hit, I regularly did estate planning seminars out of my office here in San Jose and then now and then out in the community as well. I found those to be very beneficial for people, but now with the pandemic, I'm not doing any more live seminars. Um, for those of you who are interested in living trust planning, I do have a seminar that can be available online at YouTube. It's been there about five years now. It's got some older numbers, but you can go to YouTube, type in Living Trust Seminar, and if you see a green box in the image that says Living Trust Seminar, that's my seminar. It's, uh, I think, got over 56,000 views right now, which means I guess a few people think it's useful, but if you're interested in finding out more about Living Trust Planning, that's a good place to start. Um, I believe in education. I believe in educating the public and educating my clients. Now, we're coming up on the first break of the show today. When we come back, I will start in with questions and comments from around the state of California. So stay tuned if you want to learn some more about estate planning and estate planning issues. This is Attorney Bob Bergman, and I'll talk with you after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. So I'm going to start uh, my show here in the second segment going through questions and answers from around the state of California. Uh, I have a whole stack of them here. And as I go through, I might take a little bit of a pause now and then in order to... Um, check ahead and see just uh, whether there's any that would be of use. Okay. So, here we go. Here's one out of Northridge, California, and the person saying, um, my father's estate is in trust and the family home is being sold. The trustee, my brother, is withholding proceeds from the sale for taxes. So the closing of this week, and he's saying he's going to withhold money to pay taxes. Shouldn't we just divide the proceeds from the sale and each beneficiary pays taxes themselves? Well, the answer to that question is, you know, a, a yes, no, or maybe. Um, there may be other taxes that are owing on, on the trust. There might be income taxes owing by the, the parent who died, for example, in which case... Um, the family home might be providing the funds in order to pay off that income tax bill. But as a general rule, 
the um, a better practice is for the proceeds to be distributed out of the trust rather than the trust paying the taxes on them because if the trust pays the taxes at the trust level, the, the tax bill is going to be higher than if the proceeds are distributed out to the various beneficiaries. The reason for that is income taxes paid by trusts are paid um, at much lower amounts of of income. And what I mean by that is that the um, is that the income tax rates are high. And uh, when you have just a few thousand dollars, actually up to about twelve, thirteen thousand dollars, you're at a very high tax rate, income tax rate at that point, um, both state uh, and federal tax rate. Whereas if you distribute the proceeds out to um, the the various uh, beneficiaries, they would pay taxes on any taxable income at whatever their individual tax rates are. Now, if the family home is being sold, there's a good chance that there's actually no taxable income involved here. Uh, the reason being that if the home got revalued for income tax purposes to the date of death value when the parent died, and then the property sells and you net out less than that amount, there's no capital gains income tax on the sale. So I'm not sure just what taxes there would be. This is the kind of question that really needs more information. Um, there needs to be more information from the brother who's the trustee and a better explanation for why there has to be withholding of any kind. Okay, uh, let's see here. Can the executor of a trust, I assume they mean trustee of a trust, change the terms of a trust to compensate himself? My stepbrother is determined he's entitled to our parents' home as compensation for caregiving that he provided to his mother after my father's passing. He lived with my stepmother for three and a half years and collected $2,000 a month while she was alive. He's currently living there rent-free and refusing to buy us out or sell the property. Well, let's just say right here, uh, you don't get to change the terms of the trust just because you acted as a caregiver. In fact, if you're a caregiver for a parent, uh, it's kind of considered that that's part of your responsibility as a child, uh, which is to care for the parent. Um, here, uh, if, the, if he's been if he's been living there rent free, he's acting as the trustee. He's acting probably in violation of his responsibilities as the trustee of the trust. And uh, if he's not careful, he's going to get himself removed by a court, and maybe have uh, various expenses and costs charged back against him because he's not really acting in the best interest of all the children. Okay, what is best for a house that's been vacant since my great-aunt passed and she did not have a will, a trust, or any children? The house has been vacant for about 14 years. I've paid taxes on it. I've done several upkeep things on the house. Is probate, being executor, or adverse possession an option? Excellent question. Um, my first question would be, is the person asking the next of kin or the intestate heir of the great aunt 
or are there other family members that might actually um, be those who inherit or would inherit closer than this person who's asking the question? Adverse possession might be an option if this person's been living in, but, but here though, the, the house has been vacant, uh, which means this person hasn't been living in it and uh, paying the taxes for 14 years and uh, and kind of doing things around but not living there, that could r- arise uh, a claim or get a claim for adverse possession, which basically means you're claiming that the property's yours because you claimed it, you openly and notoriously occupied the property, and you paid all the tax bills on the property. I believe the term is for five years. If it's been sitting vacant, I'm not so sure that you can file a claim for adverse possession because you haven't actually been possessing the property. If it's vacant, by definition, you're not possessing it. You're not living in the property. So um, the short answer is probably not. Probably not. I, th- I think is um, it would be... Um, Probably probate is the way to go to actually get all that sorted out. Okay, we only have a uh, couple of minutes left in this segment. So um, I'm going to flip through, see if I can find a shorter one here. Um, So what do I do to get a trust enforced when the lawyer I had is no longer around? He retired or, or passed away. Trust was set up that when... My aunt died, the home would be sold, and the money would be split to the kids. Kid who lives there won't move out or buy up the others, has not paid rent or helped with auntie while he's lived there. Well, I would say whoever is the trustee of the trust has the authority to evict anybody in the property, even someone who's a beneficiary. They don't have a right to just live there. Um, So it's really something where the courts have to get involved if the person's not willing to voluntarily move. Okay, so we're coming up on the end of the second segment of the show today. Um, If you would like to call in today, if you have a question for me, you can call 800-516-1220. I will take questions on the show if you have a question you'd like to give me on the air. You could also email me at rpb at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com. Actually, cancel that radio at lawbob.com if you'd like to ask a question on the air. So this is Attorney Bob Bergman. I will talk with you after the break, and uh, then we'll go into the third segment in the second half of the show today. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, I'm back. The previous half hour of the show was brought to you by Disneyland and the Disney Corporation. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, Yeah, those of you, if you caught the first part of the show, I gave you some tips for visiting downtown Disney, which I do recommend. Um, And seriously... Follow those tips, otherwise you're probably going to be outside waiting to get in and maybe for several hours just to get in. 
then several more hours to get into the things you want to go to, like the Disney store uh, or the new Studio 17 that they've set up, which is a pop-up store with Halloween items, or if you want to get confections at the confectionery store. Um, not so hard to get into restaurants to get something to eat. That, that doesn't seem to be too bad, but anything else you want to do in there, make sure to get there early and get in early and get everything done and then leave because you'll see tons of people waiting to get in and you are the smart one. You got there right at 9.30. Okay, uh, let's see. Here's a question out of Whittier, California. And the question is, is it possible um, to get a conservatorship with someone who's 33 years old and has a diagnosis of schizophrenia and is, excuse me, and is also bipolar? Uh, the answer is you can get a conservatorship over anyone who is a legal adult. Once someone turns age 18, if they are mentally incapacitated, sometimes also if they're physically physically incapacitated, you can get a conservatorship over that person. That's just a fact. Um, that's, that's what the nature of conservatorship is. The age of the person doesn't matter as long as they're a legal adult, because that's really what we're talking about. Now, here's a question out of Pasadena. And this, uh, it appears to be um, a wife, and she says... Uh, my husband and I remain married. I'm 68 years old. But if I die before my husband, I don't want my husband to get the share of our properties, my retirement funds, my Social Security benefits. I want to leave my shares to my kids and my nieces. Well, let's unpack that. First of all, if this couple actually owns property as community property, um, then then the only real way to get your share of the property to go to the people you want to go to is to make a will that directs that your share of property goes to those people. If you have a trust with your spouse and and it says uh, everything goes to the survivor of you, you would have to revoke that trust and then create a will that says you want your property to go to your children and your nieces. Your retirement funds, if you're talking about an IRA 401k, that's more problematic. A 401k plan, in order to go to someone other than your surviving spouse, the surviving spouse has to sign off on that because federal law says that's where a 401k plan goes when you die. If it's an IRA, even though technically your spouse doesn't have to sign off on that, as a practical matter, here in California, everyone who provides IRAs will require the spouse to sign off on an IRA going to somebody other than the surviving spouse. Social Security benefits, those can't pass to your children or to your nieces. Social Security, first of all, you die, your Social Security check goes away completely um, unless it is higher than your spouse's, then your spouse has to get rid of their check and they get your check instead. Uh, basically, you, you get to keep one Social Security check. It doesn't continue on after you die. Your spouse would actually have to decide which Social Security check they want to receive going forward. But the Social Security check doesn't go 
to your children or your nieces. It can't. Um, it's, it's more like a pension that can only go to the surviving spouse. But real estate, um, yes. If the real estate's owned as, um, as community property or owned as joint tenancy, if it's owned as joint tenancy, you should be able to transfer your half to your individual name um, to break the joint tenancy. Um, but still, if you have a situation like this, there's probably bigger problems than what's going to happen to my property when I die. Um, I don't know that there's, uh, that there's really much more to say about that. Okay, a hmm, bunch of duplicate questions here. Why do I have... Okay, it's, oh, there we go. All right. Okay, okay, here's a similar one um, to one I had earlier in the show. I've been living in my deceased grandparents' home for the last 10 years. I've paid property tax and made improvements on the house. They left a will leaving it to me and my uncles, but the will was said to be invalid. Also, my name was on a lease for my now wife. But during that year, I still lived here going back and forth so the house was taken care of. Would that disrupt the continuance of possession? That's a, that is a, this is an adverse possession question again. And whether it would disrupt the adverse possession is really a matter of a of, of factual determination by the court. Um, if you went back and forth, if you were still occupying the property, the answer is probably no. Uh, you probably um, have not given up your adverse possession claim if you are actually living there uh, and you have things there and you're staying there on a regular basis. So, um, but again, that's not so much an estate planning question as it is a real estate attorney question. And uh, I don't really practice in the field of real estate, although I did many, many years ago. I haven't done it in many, many years and I would not presume to advise somebody on what the state of the law is today on adverse possession. So what I'm relating is uh, what the law was before and what the law probably still is now, but I can't guarantee that's the case. Okay, um, here's a question, kind of a strange question. If my husband wants me to sign an interspousal transfer deed, but I have no assets with him, should I? Well, an interspousal transfer deed is basically a transfer between spouses of an interest in real estate, either one spouse adding the other spouse or else a spouse being removed from the title um, and by giving up their interest in the property. I don't know how you could have no assets with your spouse and sign an interspousal transfer deed unless the husband in this case is proposing to put his wife on the title with him on property that's his property and if that's the case I might say hooray um, that's not necessarily a bad thing it means now that you now you're a co-owner of the property and uh, you would be entitled to uh, property or your share of the property later on down the line okay all right, well, that's really a family law question right there. I'm going to skip over that. 
Okay, I have an inheritance claim for my late uncle. I've already talked to the banks and provided all documents, but I'm not able to go to Switzerland to sign and claim my deposits. No money to pay a lawyer. Um, do you know a lawyer who will assist me? Okay, this is an out-of-country inheritance. I would think this person needs to have an attorney in Switzerland um, to assist them. If the inheritance is in Switzerland, um, asking an attorney in California is not going to be very, very helpful um, because that's, the, uh, that's just the way it is. Uh, here, is it possible to have an unsigned will drafted by a lawyer admitted as a valid will in the probate process? I think the answer to that is clearly no, unless there is some kind of other written evidence from the person saying that they intended that will to be their will. Like uh, like they wrote a letter, I, uh, I've drawn up a will with attorney Bergman that expresses my wishes, um, signed Uncle Joe. Um, possibly that unsigned will drafted by Attorney Bergman could be incorporated into the the letter or the writing uh, by the person uh, saying that, you know, hey, I wrote up this will and they just didn't get around to signing it yet. Likely it would not be considered to be a valid will of any kind because to be a valid will it has to be at least a very minimum signed by the person that you're asserting um, it's their will. Um, doesn't have to be dated, but it has to be at least signed. So if it's an unsigned document, it's basically just words on a page. It doesn't really have any effect of any kind. Okay. Okay, that's a family law question. Can a beneficiary request an accounting of a trustor's pre-death bank accounts? The person's claiming that uh, mom loaned money to his sister years ago and sister should pay it back to the trust. Um, kind of hard to say. Uh, generally, the trustee of a trust has no obligation to provide an accounting of pre-death bank accounts. Um, so uh, the short answer is probably not. Um, asking for accountings before the person was acting as the trustee. If that person was acting as the trustee, then perhaps an accounting would be appropriate. Okay, we're coming up on the end of the third segment of the show today. When we come back, I'll be continuing with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Um, you can also call in at 800-516-1220 if you would like to ask me a question on the air. But no questions coming in. I'll close out the show with more questions and comments. This is Attorney Bob Bergman. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, Attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. We're going to cover some more things here uh, in the remaining minutes of our show today. And um, I just want to let you all know that uh, I am, in fact, open for business. Uh, people can meet with me either in person or, with, uh, or meet with me virtually. 
I don't actually use Zoom, but I use a similar service, a service called Join.me. And uh, I can meet with you virtually or I can meet with you in person. I don't have a problem either way. Of course, I observe uh, protocols in my office with distancing. I have sanitizer. I have my my COVID notice outside my door. So, um, so but but I am meeting people. Um, I am meeting people in person if they wish to meet that way. Okay. Um, already did that. Okay. Okay, what impact will there be in the future if I transfer my property title to my son while he is um, while still married but living? It says, I've always wanted to transfer my title to my son. I own the mortgage and the lender has no objection. I will sh surely notify my spouse. I read somewhere my spouse cannot stop this from selling my 50% stake. Huh? Okay, we've been living separately for years. I just want to know in the future if she decides to file for the divorce, will she bring up this property in this manner even when I notified her? Well, okay, here's the deal. This is mostly a family law question, but in general, if you're living separately, the question is, is it an actual separation, like a formal legal separation, or you're just living separately? And that could affect whether or not you have any right to transfer the title of any property that you jointly own with your spouse, even transferring your 50% interest with that property. Um, if the property is still community property owned by the marriage, then you cannot transfer legally your share of that community property without the other spouse consenting to that transfer. That's just basic community property law here in California. So uh, this person proposing to do this uh, really needs to consult with an attorney locally where they're at and determine, and maybe with a family law attorney, to determine whether or not they actually have the ability to make a transfer of any kind. Uh, so that's the... Uh, that's kind of my short answer to that question right there. Okay. Can a trustee deny a beneficiary any of his share of the trust if the beneficiary is in need? I don't have any money to my name at the moment. Our house sold three months ago and it was split four ways, a good amount each. My sister is the trustee. My current situation is horrible. Now, I'm not asking her to release my complete share to me, but enough for me to get on my feet, one of which is transportation. She doesn't want to release any of my share to help me purchase a car. Well, here you have to look at the trust. What does the trust say? Does the trust say that the sister acting as the trustee has the right to hold on to this person's share of the trust in trust for them and then um, use those monies for the needs of the person as they appear. If that's the case, then the sister as trustee should be providing the resources for this person to get back on their feet because they clearly have a financial need. If the trust does not permit the sister to hold on to the property, she has no right to hold on to this person's share 
and her failure to turn it over would likely be a violation of her responsibilities as a trustee, violating the terms of the trust and violating the trust law. And that could be grounds for having her removed as the trustee. And if this person suffers as a result of this, there may even be some kind of action against the sister's trustee for refusing to turn over the funds. It's a pretty serious matter. So, so, um, I would tell this person who is in city of industry, uh, you need to talk with an attorney right away uh, because um, because the sister really has no business withholding it. So I got time for one more question. Persons considering a living trust as all four of my kids have medical issues. My daughter uh, is the only one that I feel needs protection. I want to inherit my house, my only major asset. I'm thinking if I put her on the title of my property, she get the property on my death, in which case I don't need to make a living trust and make a simple will. Don't do that. Can the deed be contested by her brother? I live in California. I would actually put it in a trust, leave it directly from the trust to your daughter, and make it very, very clear uh, that if anybody contests that, anything else you're leaving, they're not getting anything. In other words, maybe... Uh, put the fear of God into your son so he doesn't fight about it uh, after you have passed away. So we're winding up the show today. I hope you learned some things. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed my downtown Disney tips. Um, But when I come back next week, there'll be another episode of Plan Your Estate Radio. This is your host, estate planning attorney Bob Bergman in San Jose. I hope you enjoyed the show today. And we'll get back together again next week. Until then, have a great weekend. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com, or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases.